The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. And welcome to the Doctor Who pod, proudly brought to you by SJP World Media. I am Sai, and joining me as always as we venture back and forth through this crazy world of a mad thousands of years old alien in a little blue box is our good friend, Mr. Dan Griffin. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, mate. Doing well, as we were saying just off air. It's uh, it's just been a particularly good weekend in uh, in general for me at time recording, so I'm feeling good, and I'm ready to get into some Doctor Who that is sort of prime my time really with matt smith ah there we go see this is really interesting because i i've said numerous times on the show before but i loved david tennant as the majority of people tend to do but when david tennant came into the role those initial first couple of episodes didn't take to him because i liked Mm -hmm. Eccleston so much (laughs) by the end of tennant's run i loved i loved tennant so when matt smith came in and this is obviously the first episode of Matt Smith's run. I, I just weren't on board of it at all. Just couldn't get on board of it whatsoever. I, again, my wife jokes all the time that I fear change. And I'm, get, I'm turning into a proper old man. But this is an example of that. And <laughs> we're watching all of New Who back with, uh, with Charlie. She went through the same thing for the first few episodes of going from Tennant to Smith in her little watch back with me. But we sat down and watched this episode today. Charlie watched it with me again, and she absolutely loves Matt Smith now, having watched this whole run. And I think it's easier now to appreciate these earlier episodes from me and Charlie than it was first time round, if that makes sense. It really does, because this is something that happened to me as well. Matt Smith really sort of aged into the role. Like he's the he's the youngest actor ever to be cast to play the Doctor, and particularly here, obviously, been it first episode. It, it really does show. He oh, does, yeah. And it, it'll come up time and again. He just looks so young. Um, but as he, as you know, time went on and he, and he, he <laughs> just basically as he aged and as the sort of character matured along with him as well. And he, and he really found his feet. And looking back now, it's massively entertaining to see the sort of the kernels of what Matt Smith Doctor would become. Mm. And I, and it, I look back at some of these older ones, and it, I've, I've got a greater fondness for them now, looking back after what Matt Smith became than uh, than, than on sort of first glance. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, we are, of course, talking eleventh hour, the first episode of season five of New Who, Matt Smith's beginning in the role, I suppose. And this first aired thirteen years ago, Dan, the third of April, twenty ten. Thirteen fucking years ago, mate existential crisis territory for me i was i was 21 back then it's insane fresh out of uni absolute piss can didn't know <laughs> didn't, didn't know nothing about nothing <laughs> oh man. I, still, I still don't know anything about anything but i'm older <laughs> it's 
it, it's a funny one for me this episode and we'll get into it in a second because we do have the i suppose the normal sort of newly regenerated doctor nonsense where it, 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 he's a bit not quite not not quite finished cooking yet as he words it yeah. <laughs> we have the role uh, you know the meeting of the new companions we don't really know anyone in the show as yet i'm also with this one it's it's 13 years old it kind of drops into that bracket of there being some really really good stuff and then there are certain moments where the cgi hasn't aged as well oh very much so very very much so but it, it starts out really well I love that long shot zooming in on Earth and the TARDIS and the TARDIS crashing over, you know, sort of crash landing over London and, mm. you know, Matt Smith inexplicably hanging out the TARDIS with the Sonic in his teeth and the last minute swerve to avoid Big Ben. That's all brilliant. And it's really the practical effects with everything on fire. Yes. Fantastic. What a way to kick off and get you all action into the opening credits. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. And obviously then... We have a little bit of, um, I suppose, a reoccurring scene, I suppose, of the garden, don't we? In in mm. what is Amelia Pond's house. And the TARDIS has landed sideways on. And the, I suppose, the entrance of Matt Smith. I, I, this must have been done intentionally. It's very dramatic. And, you know, the smoke coming out the TARDIS doors as, as they fly open. And he appears out the top of the, well, the side of the TARDIS, I suppose, as it's on, as it's on his back. I, I think this was like a... Even though we'd seen him already, it felt like a very much a da-da, here I am kind of revealing of the actor, I suppose. Well, yeah, because all we'd seen at the end of, um, of well, at the end of the end of time uh, was the regeneration where he's you know, asking about his chin and his hair and then we've had this whole crash landing. And it's a real good tonal shift between that chaos and, you know, little Amelia praying to Santa because of the crack in a wall. <laughs> so, it's, you know, you've got, whoa, what the hell is this? Brings you down again, and then just immediately back into the insanity. Yeah. So it, it, it is really good. And he gets that big, dramatic, you know, grappling hook flies out, which, you know, thank God for, for chance. Otherwise, the, his first act as a doctor would have been, you know, a, a hook in the back of Amelia's head, which wouldn't, <laughs> <laughs> which wouldn't be great. You know, it's a big, dramatic entrance. And then we're, back, we're straight into the weirdness as well with him asking for an apple. Yes. Yeah. And, and we go through quite a, a, a selection of food here. And I really enjoyed this. This is just, it's just great comedy. And I think it shows as well how the, how great this, this TV show is. Well, when it gets things right, how great it is. Because I'm a grumpy 42-year-old man sat there giggling at what the doctor is doing when he's running through all these different <laughs> types of food and, and making these comments. And Charlie is my 13 year old daughter sat next to me roaring with laughter at it. The fact that they can bridge that sort of age gap and so on, I think is testament to how good this is. Yes. Sometimes you just need a bit of daft, you know, he comes out soaking wet saying he was in the library and then he was in the swimming pool, but the swimming pool was in the library. So we know something's not right with the TARDIS. And then he, he gives it the whole, I'm the doctor to every do everything I tell you. Don't ask stupid questions and don't wander off. And he promptly just slapstick walks into a tree. Yes. And just at early days, steering's a bit off. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. This whole this whole montage with the uh, with the food is brilliant though. I listed down everything he tried. Oh, brilliant. Okay. <laughs> um, he bites into an apple, hates it, spits it right out. Um, he says, you know, new mouth, new rules, and he wants wants to try yogurt. Spits it all over the kitchen. Says to this little girl, "You're Scottish. Fry something." That was fantastic. So she cooks him up some bacon. Spits out. Ask her if he's trying to poison him. 
asks for beans, spits them in the sink, calls him evil, tries bread and butter and frisbees it out the door. <laughs> oh. And we finally settle on the now iconic fish yes. fingers and custard. Yes, they, the fish fingers were made out of like marzipan or something, weren't they, apparently? Or, or some form of... They, they weren't real fish fingers, apparently. They were made out of something else that was already sweet tasting to sort of aid Matt Smith with, with eating them, apparently. And here I am, been eating fish fingers and custard ever since, like a sucker. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've actually never tried it, but I kind of want to. Um, See... But I, I'm easily led. <laughs> it's one of those things, you know. It's, I, I love fish fingers. I like custard. So in my head, I'm thinking that should work, but it's the, um, we know it doesn't. <laughs> it's, the, it's the Joey and Friends thing when Rachel makes the beef trifle. Yes, and he says, you know, jam good, whipped cream good, beef good. <laughs> yeah, there we go. In theory, it should work, but <laughs> yeah, I do like this sort of little getting to know your kitchen scene. Those is there eating the fish fingers and the sort of. You know, getting to know each other, Amelia's living situation and stuff like that. And then he says, uh, and you know, she says she's not scared of being on her own. He says, no, you're not scared of anything. Man falls out of the sky in a box, asks for fish custard, and you're just sitting there eating ice cream. And it's a, another great tonal shift where, so where he just sort of drops and says, do you know what I'm thinking? Must be hell of a scary crack in your wall. Mm. And, and this is obviously the, the crack in the wall. It ends up being cracks across the universe and so on, doesn't it? And it's it's funny watching this back when you to realise because it's re, it's a reoccurring theme. It's like it's like the bad wolf of this particular story, isn't it? Uh, it's a reoccurring theme throughout the throughout this season and so on. These cracks appearing and and that and it's surprised me how early in this very first episode we're getting references to the crack in the wall. Because it's the very first time we see Amelia. She's she's praying about, well, like you said, she's praying to Santa to get somebody to <laughs> sent to help her with this scary crack in the wall. It's literally the first thing she talks about. Yeah, and it doesn't actually get resolved until Matt Smith's very last episode. Mm. I don't think. I'm, okay. I'm, having, I'm having trouble remembering now. Which Which one was it? Because, yeah, I think in his last episode there ends up being a crack in the wall. Um, at the, the town called Christmas on, right. um, uh, oh, I can't remember the planet's name now. And it, it, Amelia um, talks into that and asks, oh, sorry, no, not Amelia, it was Clara. And Clara begs into that for another uh, another regeneration cycle from the Time Lords because it links to Gallifrey. And it's them, because the crack was the cracks were caused by them trying to bleed through and, and get back into the universe. Yeah, so clever. It all sort of comes back around, doesn't it? I love stuff like that. Oh yeah, I do as well. But it, it was bizarre because we got we thought we could, we thought we got an explanation at the end of this series, but then they left it open ended for an, another series and a half before actually before finally wrapping it up. Mm. It was it was ridiculous. But another thing I love in this as well, it's quite um, it's quite a, it's just quite a good line where they're sort of investigating it. You can hear Prisoner Zero has escaped, which you will hear over and over and yes. over again. But when he looks at Amelia and he says. You know when grown-ups tell you everything is going to be fine and you think they're probably lying to make you feel better? And she says, yes, it's just, everything's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah, that was that was good. And already you get in there almost <sighs> overcompensating by Amelia or Amy, uh, being bolshy and brave and, 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 and over the top and so on. 
to hide the fact that she's maybe a little bit lonely, a little bit scared, and she hasn't got much family around her and so on. Mm-hmm. All that's coming into this so early, isn't it? It is, yeah. It mainly does not give a single shit, even at what, what you know, what she, <laughs> eight, nine. Yeah. Um, I have to ask though, because the plan is to open the crack in the wall, just open it up and then cause it to invert and close. What did you make of the giant eyeball? Um, I, uh, I don't know. I've got an issue with things like this normally, because in theory, these are alien life forms, right? And obviously aliens have eyes. Well, most, most of the ones we come across in these programs do. But it's a big human eyeball, isn't it? Human looking, yeah. Yeah, so that's the that's kind of the stumbling block I've got with it, is that it's always, you know, something like that is always referencing back to human form when they're supposed to be, you know, from, from like a different universe or galaxy or whatever. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do understand it. It's a bit too close to home, even though it's, you know, like a, a six-foot eyeball. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, and... Well, we'll get into the design of the because we found out the quality attracts. So we'll get into the design of those later on because I have never been a fan, and my opinion has not changed. Mm. Yeah, but at least we get to see the psychic paper. Well, this is true. It fires a message onto the psychic paper, doesn't it? Which I thought was quite cool. And it's the same message we're hearing anyway, isn't it? Like Prisoner Zero has escaped. Yeah, and, and then sorry, sorry. I, 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 I like even though it's very repetitive. And we then get the, obviously the message coming through later on that changes a bit about you know the the basically the earth being incinerated or the world being incinerated or the human you know human home being incinerated and so on. It is very repetitive and it does really sort of borderline, I suppose, approach annoying with with its repetition. But if something happens in a prison, the same warning or the same siren and the same mm. you know message does get repeated constantly until it's resolved so it does kind of ring true i think yeah it's a little bit of reality um in something that is eminently sort of unrelatable really you know it's a giant giant eyeball in a space prison um mm. but i do like the sort of the, the, what they do very well particularly in this era in doctor with matt smith is when he has the realization that something's gone wrong or something's in the house, he plays it almost like classic horror film. And, the, you know, they frame it that way, like the whole thing about in the corner of his eye just after this, where they're going out and he takes a good long look at that door. Yes. But then gets distracted because the cloister bell rings in the TARDIS and he's got to, you know, he's got to pop five minutes into the future. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it? it's kind of between a rock and a hard place, I suppose, because you look at it, and, and and little Amelia wants to go with him. The doctor doesn't want to leave her there because it's there's obviously danger in this house. But at the same time, the TARDIS, the engines need stabilising is, is what the doctor explains to us, isn't it? Mm. And he's thinking it's a five-minute hop into the future. I, I won't be long, but I can't take you with me because this might not be safe in here either because it's still sort of fixing itself, I guess. Well, so the, it's, the TARDIS uh, is about to burn, as he puts it. Mm. So he's got to yeah. get in there. I do think it's a bit weird that he was quite happy just to take a kid. Yeah, that was a bit... A, a, kid, bit that, a kid that he's established is pretty much alone and vulnerable. Mm. That's that's, yeah. that's odd. That is a bit strange, isn't it? Yeah, the, the, you know, but, the first thing this new Doctor's doing, it's, it's weird because it's, it's referenced later in his run 
because he, he says to Amy, he says to Amy at one point that that her and Rory are seared onto his heart. So he's kind of just imprinted on them like a like a duckling or something like that at this stage. <laughs> he's kind of, I suppose yeah. we're back to the we're kind of back to the whole William Hartnell nonce box with this then, aren't we? A little bit. Yeah, except yeah. this is this is proper direct. And he's <laughs> and he's just like, yeah, little lass on her own. She made me food. I'm taking you. It's yes. um it yeah, it's one of the, it's one of the it's one of the <laughs> nobody nobody isolate that. Nah, <laughs> nah, definitely not, definitely not. But, but oh, you immediately dear. feel you um, immediately feel sorry for her as well for Amelia because she's all excited. She's going on an adventure. She gets all her things packed and she runs downstairs. She's got a little duffel coat on and a wellies and she's just left there. Yeah. But oh, it's, it is. Did you notice? The whole thing is sad. But did you notice in the background as well? It's sad, but it's also a little bit scary because as she's running around the landing and yes. getting everything sorted, did you notice the door? Yeah. That was initially shut and then opens. That that again though is so cleverly done because it's not even majorly subtle because it's directly in your eye line as she's running back and forth. But because it's in the background and she's in the foreground, it's not so unsubtle it slaps you in the face it's really well done and it's such a clever little trope because you've got this young little lass running about completely oblivious to the yeah. fact that something bad is there and then so, when you when we realize it yeah when we realize it it's as obvious as being twatted in the face with a cricket bat well this is it the doctor does his little five minute hop into the future and uh amelia's left waiting in the garden the doctor returns Amelia isn't waiting there at this moment. The doctor returns and the garden looks a bit different. And he notices how big some of the, the greenery has become. Prisoner no, it Zero. It doesn't really at that point, does it? Because he's just running in saying that Prisoner Zero's in the house and, you know, Sonic's on the fritz. And then he gets, and then he gets, as he's inside, he gets it with a cricket bat. Well, yeah, there is that. When he steps out the TARDIS, though, there's the, the, the shot almost through the gate and you've got the, the greenery that grows at the side of the gate maybe or you've got two parts of it anyway and matt smith does sort of react and look up at them quickly as if oh, sort of going, oh, right, okay so they are obviously a bit bigger but again i think you're right it's not a it's more of a case of oh didn't notice that before as opposed to a hang on that's not right i think it's mm. literally a passing thing by matt smith because it is later on we get the the actual reveal of well for the doctor and ourselves don't we yeah, we do. Yeah, sorry, man. I didn't. I haven't clocked that um, because I think what's clever in this as well is the the show that an actual clock saying eleven thirty at night to then sort of one twenty in the afternoon. Mm. So we think that maybe he's just gone a few hours. Yes, and that's that's kind of a reoccurring thing for the next few scenes, isn't it? When they're discussing this stuff, because the doctor returns and like you said, that the clock dictates it's been a few hours. He then gets walloped in the face by the cricket bat, as you say, because he's running around this house calling for Amelia. Mm. And, and we'll come back to the first interaction we have with Rory in a moment, but because that sort of interjects into these scenes, but we'll stick with Amy and the Doctor for now. And it, it, basically, Amy is in the house, dressed as a policewoman, mm. and calling for backup on her radio and so on. And it leads effectively to her saying, oh, you know, Amelia Pond hasn't been here for a long time well she, says, she, six, says, she six, says six yeah, months yeah this is it she says six months so again we're then thinking right okay we thought it was a couple of hours we're now getting told it's six months but each time we're thinking oh oh wow that's not very good oh wow that's a little bit worse there's always another step on that's a bit like that's worse again and this this one's right through to the very end of the episode doesn't it with the doctor yeah. 
having these this kind of issue, I, I think. Yeah, it's a classic thing of the Doctor not being able to fly the TARDIS properly. Yeah. Um, but one thing I do like that they added in there was Amy, as we'll come to know, but that obviously we haven't tweaked that yet. Um, but the policewoman getting on the radio and saying in that uh, for backup to hurry up because he knows something about Amelia Pond, as if something bad's happened to her. Yes. I thought that was really smart. Yeah, very good. Very good. Um, I suppose on the other side of that, I mean, we, we find very quickly that Amy is not a real policewoman, obviously, and she's just wearing a get-up from her job as a kissogram. Mm. And she's handcuffed the doctor to a radiator, and she's talking into her radio and basically pretending to get back up and so on. Now, at this point, she hasn't fully dawned on who this is, I don't think, has she? It's almost like the years of counselling and therapy and trying to you know, get over what's happened in her, in her childhood has suppressed it enough that she doesn't instantly twig right at the very beginning. So on that premise, she's got a strange man in her house and she's pretending to call back up rather than actually really calling the police. See, I think she does recognise him. Okay. Um, because, and she's pretending to call for backup because she's keeping the ruse going to see what information she can get out of him as to why as to why he's been gone so long and what what you know uh, what he thinks is um, you know what he thinks is happening and, and and all the rest of it and if or if he's just some knobhead who's there to scam her or, or try and con her somehow. Mm. Um, See, I had a little bit of a different read on that. And maybe, to be honest, a lot of this boils down to her believing in him. She might even be worried that she's having some sort of episode. Oh, yeah, of course. I didn't think of that. Yeah, if, you know, if the psychiatrist that she got sent to were right, and she's now seeing this guy again out of the blue, she could be really fearing for her, for her mental well-being. Yeah, she could be thinking she's proper messed up, couldn't she? Yeah, she's like, oh, God, I'm on some sort of psychotic break. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like as well, it's again, we have another one of those realisation moments in the next conversation with Amy and the Doctor. It's when he asks her to count how many rooms. You know, she says, you know, she's established that she lives here now, not Amelia Pond. She says, how many rooms? And she says, well, five. One, two, three, four, five. And he just very much says, six. Mm. She's like, what? She's like, look where, where you never want to look, in the corner of your eye. And she does the same thing that Matt Smith did a little minutes before looking at realizing that door is there and it's just such a basic thing but imagine how freaked out you would be if you you know lived in a house for however many years months years and you found a door that you'd never seen before but you walked past a million times it's oh it's so good so clever because it is I, I there's so much about this story that i really like and i put in a way it's relatively simple the stuff they do with the door the door opening when amelia is running back and forth and, and all that sort mm -hmm. of stuff relatively simple things but i think it all works so well and that is another moment there isn't it the how many rooms five and then doctor says six and you scan around and it's, it's all really well done I and mean, as well when amy we'll get to it in a minute but when amy goes into the room and the, the stuff with the sonic screwdriver oh yeah such a yeah. simple thing but it's it, it, it it's scary it's like oh yeah. my goodness you know but but one last word on the door as well i think they did a really good job in putting that door and the one next to it unnaturally close together yes like that wall they, they don't match no the wall and the wall but the, the wall between those two rooms doesn't make any physical sense mm -hmm. it'd be paper thin but it's not something you'd consciously register first time around. I've watched this episode so many times 
and it took me a fair few just to realise, oh yeah, that isn't, everything about this is just off. And then to continue that with Amy going into the room and the doctor just shouting at her not to, and saying, oh, my screwdriver must have gone under the door. And she's like, oh yeah, I can see it. Yeah, must have rolled under the door. And then jumped upon the table. Yes. And it's that slow reveal as well, isn't it? When she's like, oh, screwdriver, silver thing, blue end. Yeah. So, and she's talking about it without us seeing it yet. And mm. then she talks a bit more, the camera spans out, and then the reveal of it being on, it's, again, so simple, but so effective and so, so well shot, I think. It really is, yeah. Um, and just after this is where it all kind of starts to fall apart for me. Okay. Not, not, not a visual, from a visual point, you know, visual standpoint, because we get the bizarre snake eel thing yeah, hanging from the ceiling. Before we get to that, though, we do have to jump back a little bit to something that we skirted over with regards to the first occasion of meeting somebody I'm not particularly fond of, and, and that's Rory. Well, um, I was gonna, I was gonna say the, I was gonna go back to that just after just a little, after just a little bit more, because okay. it all kind of ties in. It, it's we have the whole, you know, the, the the snake eel thing, who we obviously assume is Prisoner Zero, just staying out of Amy's eye line, mm. and then we finally get, you know, the big turn and face, the big scream, and the Doctor Sonic, you know, Amy runs out of the room, the Doctor Sonic's the door locked. And there's just a great line where Amy says, will that door hold it? And the Doctor says, oh, yeah, it's an interdimensional multiform from outer space. They're all terrified of wood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is brilliant. Um, you sarky bastard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's a, there's a glow behind the door. And the Doctor says the, the, the prisoner zero is getting dressed. At which point Amy reveals she lied about being a policewoman. She's a kissogram. And then the door opens, and that's where I want to now want to jump back to uh, our first meeting of Wet Wipe Rory. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, the initial interaction that we see him having on screen, he's still a bit nervy, he's still a bit geeky, mm-hmm. he's still probably a bit wet wipe, as you said. But he's okay here, because he's, he's talking to his boss. He's a nurse, and he's in the hospital, and he's talking to one of the doctors there, Dr. Ramston, I think was yeah. the name. And they uh, he's trying to convince the the doctor that a room full of coma patients were asking for her mm. and he then also says about seeing the coma patients but he know he's talking in a way that he knows this sounds crazy and she is quite the strong-willed almost battle axe type character and you can tell that Roy's intimidated just having to talk to her about anything, never mind this yeah. craziness. But he still feels it important enough to bring it up. And at this point, I don't hate Rory yet. No, no, because, you know, he's obviously a bit freaked out and he's scared at wasting a doctor's time. But he, he brings him in and there's a room full of coma patients all saying doctor. I flash back to um, the... Uh, the doctor dances in the room full of the gas mask patients, mummy, you know, yes. giving it all that. It's good. It's weird. It's creepy. And then he's there, you know, Dr. Ramsden saying, but you know, okay, the doctor thing is odd, but they're not even conscious. They can't have been out and, you know, they can't have been out and about for a stroll and he's holding his hand out and she's saying, why are you giving me your phone? And just in a sign of how much times have changed, he has to point out that it's a camera too. 
Yes. <laughs> My thirteen years ago. I know, I know. But basically, Doctor Ramsden doesn't have time for it. She's, you know, she's got something more, more important to do, and tells him to take some time off and go home. Just <laughs> go home, chill out. You're obviously going mental. Yes, indeed. Um, the man and the dog. Now, this is something that. What I like most about this, sorry, is something that pops up again later in the episode as well. Because we find that the uh, the, the eel-spaced snake thingamy, Prisoner Zero, is able to take the form of something else via a psychic link, isn't it? And mm. they need to they need to be alive and there for him to do this, but obviously not you know out and about themselves. So the coma patients are supposed to tick the boxes perfectly for this this situation. And there's a man with his dog. However. So Prisoner Zero doesn't always quite get it a hundred percent right, and the man is barking like the dog, and little touches like that. I again, I really enjoyed because it's it'd be so easy to write this as being this big perfect alien doing this, that, the other, but little quirks to it like that, I like, especially when it, it comes up later on as well with regards yeah. to the the woman and the two children. It's just so clever. It's a lot. It's a lot of fun as well because you know the dogs there uh, barking and. and... The doctor has to point out to him, say, look at the mouths. It's one creature disguised as two. And you've just got this bloke stood there barking while the dog's stood there chilled out. Mm. Um, just really, really clever. And then, you know, the creature growls and, you know, bears its actual teeth, you know, from the from the alien snake eel thing. Um, and just the, the doctor trying to bluff his way out of everything, trying to say, well, we've got backup coming. And Amy's like, I told you, there's no backup on the kissogram. So like, that was a clever lie to try and save our lives. Okay, there's no, okay, there isn't any backup, and that's why you shouldn't kill us, because we're not a threat. And then we hear the voices of the Atraxi uh, saying, you know, the, the human residence is surrounded. Prisoner Zero will vacate the human residence, or the human residence will be incinerated. And the doctor's saying, okay, we do have backup. And that's yes. why you shouldn't kill us. <laughs> My laptop, interestingly enough, um, did a uh, like an autocorrect thing via the Grammarly program that runs on it, and that, and uh, it says that the human residents will be vacated, or the human residents will be inseminated, as opposed oh, to incinerated. So that's a that's a whole different show. <laughs> Oh my! Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's already got the house has already got a a giant snake in there. So mm, that's it. The doctor then runs outside, doesn't he? And this is where we get the reveal, I suppose, because he notices the shed. And yeah, I liked this because, again, the doctor's always the smartest man in the room, but here he's not twigged what's going on. Whereas the viewer, I think, at this point kind of has this policewoman isn't the policewoman uh she's a kissogram she lives in the same house she's got the same colored hair it's kind of developed into the thing that at, at this point i'm thinking most people watching are thinking that's the little girl yeah she's just grown up the doctor hasn't twigged yet which is unusual for us watching sometimes i guess but when they go outside and run away from the the, the you know the scary barky dog snakes space snake thing um <laughs> they go outside and the doctor's like well there's the shed i landed on that shed i destroyed that shed and she said well yeah i rebuilt it and the doctor then runs through the thing about okay well you said it was six months this shed has obviously been here 10 years and he kind of sniffs it and licks it which is <laughs> you know, yeah. odd, odd. he's like no no more like 12 years 
and that's when he starts to twig what's going on, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, but he says to her, you know, why did you say six months? And and, he, and, uh, and Amy's accent drops because she's previously been putting on English accent and just screams at him in angry Scottish saying, why did you say five minutes? Mm. And it's just, it's a great moment. And the doctor, uh, Matt Smith's face as he realises that's Amelia is incredible. And, you know, the runoff as the, as the alien leaves the house, as prisoner zero leaves. And he's saying to her, she says, you're Amelia. And he said, you're late. And he's like, and he's like, you hit me with a cricket bat. Like 12 years. No, so he says, says, you're Amelia. He's like, you're late by 12 years. Like, you hit me with a cricket bat. 12 years and four psychiatrists. Yeah. <laughs> and he just goes, four? She said, I kept biting them because they said you weren't real. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> but it's, immediate, it's immediately like establishing her as like, okay, she's still... Still the same fiery presence that, and, and probably even more willful than, than when we left it. Well, this is the thing we get. We get, I suppose, a little insight into how Amy is, I guess, because she's living in this little village. And I mean, the doctor says at one point that there is literally nothing in this village and, and to help him save the world other than a post office. It gives you the idea of the kind of place where they are. And everyone in this little village, obviously, I'm guessing, knows each other, or at least they all seem to know Amy. And we get a scene here where they they run into a house because this this you know message of you know the human residents will be uh, incinerated if patient zero isn't you know out or, or whatever is coming through everywhere now. It's coming through a lot of screen trucks, speakers. It's going through people's phones, the radio. So they they're checking all over the village or in this part of the village anyway. And they mm-hmm. run into this house and it's coming through on the television. And it's the lady who was in uh, One Foot in the Grave. Uh, Yeah, it's Annette Crosby. That's it. Yeah, Mrs. Meldrew. That's right. And she's there saying, oh, I was just about to ring someone about this. It's on all the channels. And then she turns to Amy and goes, oh, hi, Amy. Do you work for the police now? (laughs) Yeah, because she's been a nurse and a nun before. Yes. And, and And so we get that kind of interaction there. But then we also get the one where a bit later on where Amy basically demands answers from the doctor and she shuts him in a car door, like his his tie in a car door and locks the car door. And the old man who's getting out of the car is like, Amy, I'm going to need my car back. And he seems quite scared to approach Amy about this. And she just says, go and get coffee. You can have it back in a minute. And off he goes. I think we're getting a little bit of an insight here as to not just Rory being um almost intimidated by Amy and how strong willed she is. But it's almost like she got you know she intimidates the whole village. Yeah, you get the feeling that she's always the one it, it's a bit like the Hobbit in the Bilbo Baggins lived in you know lived in Hobbiton and no, nothing ever nothing exciting ever happened and nobody ever went on any adventures until him. I feel like Amy fulfills that same role in Ledworth. She's, you know, maybe she's maybe the one, not necessarily, you know, getting into trouble or a wild child or anything like that, but there's always something going on with her and everybody's sort of gossiping behind her back, but she's never done anything wrong to anybody, but she will call you a dickhead if she thinks you, you're being a dickhead. Right, yeah, okay. She does, right. she does like, toe the line for village, um, you know, for the village niceties, because, you know, my old man used to drink in a village pub, and... There were everybody knew everybody's business, and they were always talking about each other behind each other's backs, and it was so strange yeah. and just a weird social construct. And I get the feeling that it's the same in Ledworth, but Amy doesn't conform to it at all. Mm, yeah, 
Uh, we get an example of that, I think, with regards to everyone knowing everyone else's business when uh, the lady, Mrs. Meldrew, turns to the doctor and says, I know you. Where do I know you from? And the doctor's there, so well, you can't. It's a new face. You can't know me. Yeah. And then we see uh, a guy called Jeff arrive. And he's just coming home, and this is you know where he lives. And he just walks through the door, and the doctor is you know doing doctor things. He's talking about what's happening. He's got he's trying to formulate a plan in his head and so on. And um, it's actually yeah, but Jeff. sorry, just just to cut you off, what we get is the um, you know they have a bit of an exchange about the doctor saying that you know Amy was better when she was Amelia, and she's like, oh my god, you're worse than my aunt. And the, he says, I'm the doctor. I'm worse than everybody's aunt. And that's not how I'm introducing myself. <laughs> <laughs> but we get a, Jeff. Jeff comes in at a perfect bit of wee wee beep boop, because the doctor's just running through, as you say, a planet this size, two poles, a basic molten core, going to need a forty percent fission blast, which is really obvious when you think about it. Oh, of course. But, but they'll have to power up first, won't they? And he's just like right in Jeff's face, sort of sizing him up, looking at him from different angles. It's going to assuming a medium sized starship. That's twenty minutes. We've got twenty minutes. And it's just such a bizarre exchange. But um, a quick word on Jeff. He's, um, that's uh, Tom Hopper, who has gone on to star in uh, Umbrella Academy. Oh, I've seen that, but I've heard of it. Yeah, really good. Yeah? Yeah, really worth watching. Bit of time travelling it as well. Oh, nice. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I do like that. And like you say, it's Jeff. Uh, Realise that it's the, the Doctor is who Amy called the Raggedy Doctor. Yes. When she was a child, and you know, made um, you know, she drew pictures and made puppets of him and, and all sorts, and she's just going to shut up. <laughs> yeah, and again, it just we don't always see the impact the doctor has on people when they're left behind or if they're only in, like, I suppose, one story or whatever. But we do get a bit of it here with the, the, the talk of Amy having four psychiatrists and the effect it's had on her life, don't we? Mm. Yeah, we do, and it's um, you know it's a big thing. You know, you basically had a man try and abduct you, even though you were willing to go. Um, you know, he pulled the the space time version of free candy uh, with his TARDIS, um, and yeah, that that'll, that'll fuck you up. But yeah. with all the sort of the comedy over that realization, we then get brought back to sort of seriousness again, where it says twenty minutes till what, and he says, you know, human residence means planet. They're going to incinerate the planet. It's twenty minutes till the end of the world. Yeah, it's like it's it's again so over the top in a way because he's in this tiny little you know uh, uh, full of scenery little you know the green the duck pond and all this sort of stuff little village and he's like, oh yeah the whole world is going to end but we're only seeing this tiny little village it's quite a, it's a weird one for me because sometimes well I wouldn't say sometimes quite often in New Who especially when he's saving the earth from some impending doom, he's in a big city like Cardiff or he's running around London or he's in New York in, in certain stories here. Mm. He's basically got a post office, a local pub and a couple of houses. He's in a little village half an hour from Gloucester. Well, there we go. Yes. Yeah. There's not much going on around there, mate. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from meth. Um, well, this is true. I have to, I have to ask you because again, these this eyeball monster thing, and we get we find out the ships that orbit in the Earth are just the same eyeballs, but surrounded by lightning snowflakes of sorts. Mm. I personally think they look absolutely shit. They look, yeah, I don't think they look good, and I think again it's too close to home because mm. they're obviously designed. You know when we had 
the um the big red spider monster thingy and they had their ship that was a big spider's web yeah that works because they're spiders so there's yeah. a link there here they've got a human eyeball and like you said kind of snowflake frost effect sort of stuff that doesn't work for me because they're supposed to be from another planet but it's very it's very human like the imagery we're getting isn't it it's all a bit based in earth that's, yes, there you go. Yeah, that, that's the problem, and also it raises another question of the size of these things. As they orbit Earth, they look massive, but the size of them is so inconsistent. Because we yeah. saw the eyeball at the crack in the wall, that was maybe maybe seven foot tops. Right. Okay. They're surround. They're supposed to be orbiting Earth. There is no way that the eyeballs on those things are seven foot. And also, the doctor said they had a ship. But then, even if even if one of those is classed as a ship unto itself, what's the deal with the eyes? It, okay, just playing devil's advocate here, or it's just popped in my head now. Obviously, at the end of the episode, we get the doctor talking to one of these. Um, what, what's I can't remember the name of the race they are supposed to be now. The uh, Okay, yes, yes. And again, it's to the eye and so on. And you say about them having a big ship. Do you think that these aren't the big ship? Maybe these are what the Atraxi are. Is that actually not just a spaceship? It's just what that is one of them in the same way a Dalek would fly outside of its ship. Yeah, basically, because this is it's not clear. This is my point. You see the you see the the Atraxi eye at the prism. Yes through the crack in the wall, and you can see the bars in the background of, of a holding cell. So that eyeball must be patrolling. Mm. Prisoner Zero is is a giant snake thing, but he's not abnormally large. No. Therefore, that must the eyeball must be patrolling. Also... So if the eyeball, if the, the eyeball therefore must be the organism, otherwise they've got a ship flying around in a prison like a drone. It, it's never actually fully. Not that I need like a, not that I need a half hour lecture on attractive biology or, or you know how these things are ships instead of whatever. But it's just like they just thought, oh look, look, Barry's been in the corner. He's wanted to use this design forever. We need something for this episode. Just throw it in there. It'll make him happy. It'll shut him up. Yeah. Let's just do it. No, it, it, it doesn't have to make sense. Nobody cares. It's all about the new doctor and the new companions. Nobody gives a fuck. <laughs> yeah, totally. And also, as well, when you look into that, that that prison, I guess where where Patient Zero's held. Patient Zero is like a shape shifting snake, and we see him here as well, uh, disappear down a vent, uh, uh, turning into a kind of. Oh, don't get me started on that. Oh, he disappeared down a sewer and appears in a fucking uh, air vent. Yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of like in this kind of mystical dust kind of sort of weird shape-shifting effort. When we looked at the prison, it was just a couple of dark rooms with some bars. Yeah. Now, that's not going to hold something that can just change its form and go flying through air, va- air vents and, and sewers, is it? No. Nope. So I really think that these big flying eyeballs have only really got themselves to blame. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's really superficial. Um, it's just 
that, like I said, they've thought, they've thought, they've put some real thought into the new companions, into the Doctor saving the world, and how they're going to get there and making him look badass in the end. But they've not put any thought into making the villains menacing or looking a threat. Mm, yeah. Apart from obviously the threatening to destroy Earth with a big, you know, big laser thing. Um, and I say that though. Credit- so I say that though, when whenever the um the, the space snake is in a human form and it gets exposed as being the snake the space snake for real, and it does the whole sort of screaming, yelling, teethy thing, that does look alright. That does look scary. Oh, I was meaning the attraction, sorry. Oh right, okay. I'm talking in the, the put bugger, the put, yeah, the put bugger on to the attraction. Prisoner Zero is a lot better, um, especially when we see him for the second time, and it's um, Olivia Coleman. Oh, that is so good. The two little girls, but we'll, we'll get there in a minute. We've got a bit to do before that, because, um, like you said, we've established that he's got no resources. He's got twenty minutes. How we get the whole amusing? How's a duck pond? A duck pond if there's no ducks? Yes. And then we get the bit where they seal off the upper atmosphere. And everybody's looking to the sky, taking photos, videoing it on their 2010 uh, camera phones. And the doctor says something that I think is truer today than it was then. So the end comes as it was always going to, down a video phone. Mm. Yep, 100%. Yeah. Anyway, let's not go old man yells at clouds about how much time people people spend on phones, because I'm guilty of it too. (laughs) But this is the scene where... um, you know, she freaks out that she's been wound up, uh, does Amy. And then the doctor, and I wish they did this more, he's sort of boll- giving her a bollocking for growing up. And then he has a, a like a bullet time flashback like he's in the Matrix because he missed something. Yeah, it's like a light bulb above his head moment, isn't it? He's like, hang on, I've seen, what, what, what is it? There's something I'm thinking of, what is it? Yeah, and he's scanning it. He basically goes back and scans his memory. And he's like, okay, so it was there. That she was, He was there, she was there. They were all looking at the sky. And it's Rory taking a photo of the man and the dog. Yes. Which again, to him, is just a coma patient not in the hospital anymore at this point, isn't it? He doesn't realise what's going on. Yeah, he just knows it's weird. Yeah. But I just love the fact that the first interaction between Doctor and Rory, the Doctor just walks up, takes his phone, and just like, why are you taking photos of him when everybody else is looking at the sky? So, well, because he can't be there, he's in a coma. Oh, shit. Um... (laughs) The doctor turns to him and says, 20 minutes, the planet burns. Run to your loved ones or stay and help me. No pressure. <laughs> yeah, indeed. And this this initial interaction with Rory as well, sorry, is you, you straight away get the build-up from where you're heading of a lot of the Amy and Rory stuff, don't you? Because yeah. Amy, Rory goes, oh, Amy. And Rory, she's like, oh, hi, Rory. And the doctor's like, oh, you know each other. And the doc, uh, Amy says, yes, this is the doctor. This is Rory. He's a friend of mine. And Rory's like, well boyfriend and, and and amy straight away is like well maybe sort of and it's that thing again of she's not very nice to him to be fair no you know but at the same time he's an absolute drip and he's stand up for himself yeah she's not very nice to him but he's also a bit of a cocking yeah but um we have the whole we have the whole thing with the doctor's tie in the car door that we've mentioned and he's still got the he's still got an apple with a face carved into it that amelia had given him when she was a little girl yeah so to him a couple of minutes ago but to to, to amy years ago yeah he, just, he has a, it's sort of the first of his sort of great speeches which is on the doctor 
I'm a time traveller. Everything I told you 12 years ago is true. I'm real. Everything that's happening in the sky is real. And if you don't let me go now, everything you've ever known is over. It's like, fucking hell, all right. But that was really, that was laying the groundwork for, for how good Matt Smith would be. And then in the next episode, in Beast Below, he, he has the great moment of anger that I've referenced quite a lot, where you see just how furious he can get, you know, that the, the villains have mentioned before, the fury of a Time Lord. Um and we see uh, when he's admonishing the the humans for for abusing the star whale. Yes, and he said that's a you know, that's a, a the first moment where I sort of sat and said, "All right, okay, this guy's going to be good." Uh, I took a bit more convincing. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it, you know, it takes all sorts, doesn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, it was a real cool thing to uh, sort of to have you know have between them. Um, and then, is it around this time? Yeah, this, this is the whole boyfriend exchange, isn't it, At the after that? And they, I think this is the problem with Rory. Right out of the gate, everybody else is like, oh, shit, what do we do? What do we do? You know, we need to do the thing. You know, we need to save the world. And Rory's just saying, but but he's real. He, just, he always seems to be trying to play catch-up. And he's always having this whole vibe of, but what about me? A little bit, yeah. I did, I did think it was funny when uh, the Doctor, uh, you know, sets off the sonic screwdriver to try and attract attract the attention. Um, and they're sort of trying to figure out what to do next, and he realises he needs a laptop. And he says, uh, he says, what about your friend? N- not him, the good-looking one. Yes. And, and, and Rory's like, oh, thanks. It's what you mean, Jeff? And he's like, oh, great. So there's obviously, you know, there's obviously history there. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, yeah. Oh, dearie, dearie me. But again, it's a, it's a theme that runs with Rory's character throughout the whole time he's on the show, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, all the time. He does. On one hand, he's he's, he's essentially he's a bit used and abused. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But again, he brings a lot of it on himself. I think. Yeah, yeah, he does. Because yeah. even even after all this, and they're establishing they've got seventeen minutes and not a lot of resources, is there still? Good. But how are you real? Mm. just accept it sorry yeah. and, uh, and the thing is the doctor as well says when he's he, he's you know got his tie secured into the car at, at that point he says to to amy you don't have to believe me you don't have to go along with everything but you need to believe me for this next 20 minutes yeah just give me 20 minutes yeah and, and it's the same scenario with rory it's just like shut your mouth do the do the 20 minutes and then you can ask questions afterwards. But again, with Rory, it's a case of, but what about me? How is the doctor <laughs> real? Amy, I love you. I'll fucking get in the bin. You know? <laughs> oh, God. But after all that sort of soppy nonsense, we end up, uh, the doctor bursts into Jeff room, Jeff's room, demanding his laptop. And yeah, just... well, they split up, don't they? Amy and Rory are heading to the hospital to get the yeah. coma patients out of the hospital. And the doctor basically says he needs the laptop. So off they go. And Jeff's not too keen on that. Uh, the doctor looks at the screen and all we get is, blimey, get a girlfriend, Jeff. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> imagine that. Imagine that you're just about to settle down for a nice quick tug and then you've got to save the world. Yeah. Yeah. Bit inconvenient. <laughs> yeah. At least didn't catch him on vinegar strokes. Um, this is very true. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the doctor then uses the laptop to. He explains basically that that all this is going on. You're going to have the greatest minds in the world. You're going to have NASA and all these other other places all talking somewhere. 
So he hacks, the, he basically hacks the call, doesn't he? Yeah. And, it, and, and it convinces them that they need his help by showing how much of a genius he is by giving them all these, you know, scientific explanations to stuff that just basically show how intellectually gifted the doctor is to then go, right now you need to listen to me. Mm. And again, it's coming back to that thing of, we haven't got long. Let's just get a move on with this. Yeah. And it, it, it moves it along so nicely and, and makes for a, a fast paced, but sensible sort of second half to the episode. Cause he's there, you know, he's on a call. He's, Immediately got everybody in there. NASA, Jodrell Bank, Tokyo Space Center, Patrick Moore, and we have you know we have that amusing thing about Patrick Moore being a bit of a, a bit, bit of a, a devil, a bit of a devil, yeah. <laughs> and he sends them all this stuff. It's when he sends them Fermat's theory. He says he says it was my uh, he got killed in a duel before he uh, before he could prove it, and it was the doctor's fault because he slept in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is just so daft, you know. And he's it is it, so good. And Amy and Rory arrive at the hospital, but. The doctor's right. He says he's writing a virus on uh, on Rory, a computer virus on Rory's phone. It's very intelligent, super fast, and slightly alive. But don't worry about it. Yeah. You've just got to send it to all the computers everywhere. And he reels off some stuff that's very familiar and one that is so back in the day it's unreal: email, text, Facebook, Twitter, radar dish, and Bebo. Bebo, my goodness. Oh, yeah. so many of these things that just don't exist anymore yeah yeah Bebo the original social media that I think I got I think we got told about that when I was at, in secondary school MySpace like was the one I used a great deal yeah we had Bebo and then went to MySpace and Facebook right okay it was so weird yeah MySpace was great because you could pick your own music I, had, I I knew some people who could put together like amazing MySpace profiles and I was just sat there just going I can't be asked learning all that. I'll just have bog standard bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. I wonder yeah. if anyone's MySpace profiles are still out there somewhere. Well, no, I'm Googling this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if mine's still up. I never de- I don't think I ever deactivated the account. No, but I mean it does MySpace has kind of moved on and you can still access it and use it for stuff, but it's it's a different thing now, isn't it? It's like not laid out. I mean, I can remember it being you know, people's pages being like red with black writing and certain, you know, band logos. And then you randomly get hit with some heavy, thrashy metal music completely out of the blue. That's going to shit that you just didn't expect it. You know, it doesn't look like that anymore from what I, what I can remember or what I've been told. But I don't mm-hmm. know. If, I, I imagine a lot of the stuff that was put on there in the nineties just isn't there anymore. It wasn't the nineties, was it? It was, Late to mid to late two thousands. Okay, mid to late. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm thinking way way out of line. Then we've got <laughs> dates again. Mate, but, we're getting yeah. we're getting we're all, we're all getting on a bit. Our perception of time is completely warped. Exactly. Um, but looking at this, the, the going back to the thing, it, the virus is set to de. It's a um, I can't remember what he calls it. It's a it's a counter reset that'll default all counters to zero. Yeah. And he says, "Why should you trust me? I'll let my best man explain." This is brilliant. Oh, it's a really good <laughs> awkward silence. And he just says, Jeff, you're my best man. And it's like, what? <laughs> and the doctor gives another really good little speech. But it also makes me think he's, how he's a master manipulator, you know, like we saw in um, the episode we covered with Chris Lewis, where the Daleks are saying, you know, he turns regular people into weapons. Yeah. And he's there saying, listen to me, in 10 minutes, you're going to be a legend. In 10 minutes, everyone is going to be offering you any job you want. But first, you have to be magnificent. You have to make them trust you and get them working. This is it, Jeff. Right here, right now. This is when you fly. Today is the day you save the world. And it's like, whoa, 
that is that's heavy. That is a lot. And then he just says, "Well, why me?" Expecting some big, you know, some big oh, heart explanation. Fine, half, I think. Yeah. yeah, and he just goes, "It's your bedroom." Yeah, <laughs> you're a means to an end, I suppose. And then he comes back and tells him to delete his internet history. Imagine if Jeff had shoved the doctor out of the room and the world couldn't be saved because he wanted to have a wank. <laughs> oh, he'd come, he'd come and go at the same time. Oh, dear me. Uh, we then get another, uh, I suppose, quite comical moment in a way. The, the Amy and Rory are at the hospital, but they can't get in. It's, it's chaos, basically, because everyone just, you know, they're seeing spaceships in the sky, for fuck's sake. Of course you're going to be worried. Mm. And Amy brings the doctor and says, we can't get in. And the doctor just says, look in the mirror. So she glances at a window and sees her own reflection. And, of course, she's still dressed in the policewoman's uniform. Yeah. So she uses that to be able to get through the crowd into the, um, into the hospital. And this is where we get one of my favorite moments from the whole episode. They bump into Olivia Coleman, and she has two young girls next to her. And Olivia Coleman is talking, saying that horrible patient zero is here. It's scary. And it's, killed, it's killed Dr. Ramsden and two nurses. Yeah. They're, oh. they're just hitting the ladies. But then, as as Amy is on the phone trying to get hold of the doctor again, she glances back and the voice is still going, but Olivia Coleman's mouth isn't moving. And it's coming from one of the girls. And then we hear that, oh, I'm getting it wrong again, aren't I? Oh, it's just so <laughs> bloody brilliant. And then they all get the big fangs. Yeah, oh, it's fantastic. Ali, I love that bit. The, the, they, they chase, obviously, it's you know, the same with the man and the dog. It's one being trying to disguise itself as two. Here, it's one being trying to disguise itself as, as, as three. Mm. And Olivia Coleman and the two girls chase after Rory and Amy through the ambulance, sorry, through the hospital corridors. But if you watch... Those two little girls, they get ragged down that corridor, mind. Olivia Coleman, yeah. she is not messing around. She wants to bite Amy bad. She is chasing her, and she is ragging these girls with her no matter what. It, it's quite funny. It is a bit, yeah. And But again, it made me go back to what the doctor said about the uh, the dory locks. He's like, oh, they're all scared of wood because they barricaded with a broom. Mm. And there's sort of, it's quite amusing where you know, Zero bursts into the room. Amy's told the doctor what, what sort of window they're on, what floor they're on. And the doctor, she gets a text saying, duck, and hear the sounds, and a ladder smashes through the window. And it's just like, Zero could have just killed them while the doctor was climbing the ladder. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a, there's a, but there's a, there's a bit of this now as well. It's kind of, again, just not really thought out. And if, if like we're doing here, if we're dissecting it and thinking about it a bit too much, it's, it, it really is glaring about how sort of little the thought about it because a bit a bit later on Amy uh, Zero puts Amy into you know to sleep and takes on a different form that we'll discuss and it's just like it was a perfect moment to just kill the doctor yeah or kill Amy or you know just to, to, to escape and Zero just stands her yeah like a lemon yeah it's for, for something that's supposed to be so dangerous and obviously so and have all these capabilities you know Prisoner Zero is a bit of a dumbass He's a bit, yeah, but offset that, Olivia Coleman's fantastic, saying that you know the Atraxi will kill me this time, and I'd rather, I'd rather if I'm going to die, I'd rather take the planet with me. Mm, yes, that's brilliant, and mocking the Doctor for not knowing where the cracks in reality came from, but it's not Olivia Coleman's voice; it's the little girl's voice. Yeah, see, little touches like that, so clever. 
and, and you know they say to the doctor you know oh the doctor and his tardis don't know what the cracks are and it's really mocking and it, it, it's almost like the, the sort of bullying tone of voice you get when you when you're a little toddler picking on somebody else or, or whatever it, it yeah but it's chilling because you know they're this fucking space snake that's going to kill everybody yeah it's really good and then we get the phrase the pandorica will open and silence will fall yeah which again is you know building up to something else that i'm sure we will come to at some stage Mm, definitely and it's again there's a lot happening very quickly because we've got minutes to spare and then we hear the clock tick over in the room and everything's at zero and it's kind of it, it, this is where it, it's almost like a chess match, you know. The zero and the doctor are finding out each one's moves, you know, and how they're going to try and win this whole thing and, and save the planet or destroy it. And the doctor's saying, you know, the word's been spread quantum fast, and the word is zero. Mm. So if I was scanning the if I was scanning the planet, I'd be able to track the this virus to its source in a wonder a minute. And the source of the virus is on the phone. And I think we skirted over it, but Matt Smith says to, you know, all the experts says, I'm writing this on the phone for a reason and you'll find out. Yes. Great bit of foreshadowing. I say foreshadowing. It's not exactly subtle foreshadowing, but really brilliant. And on cue, one of the eyeballs shows up. Yeah, it is very clever. But again, it's the same as the apple, isn't it? The doctor takes the apple and literally, in the beginning of the episode, it literally says, I'll save that for later. And then it comes in handy later. It is that kind of not particularly subtle, but very well done foreshadowing, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think the apple was a little bit more subtle because, you know, he, he tried to eat an apple insisting he liked them. And Amelia thinks, oh, well, my mum used to give me apples with faces cut into them and that made me like them. So I'll do the same thing. And it's, it's, a, it's a child logic. Um, and he's just got, he didn't want to hurt a feeling. So he's put it in his pocket. Mm, yeah, I get you. Yeah, okay. it, it, it's better than that. And, getting into this chess match where Zero saying they won't be able to track me in this form and the doctor says oh yeah but this phone's full of all the pictures of your forms and I'm uploading them now and he, we just get a, a, an insight into how much of a geek this doctor's going to be where he says the final score is no TARDIS no screwdriver two minutes to spare Huda man and dead silence oh that was, I'm so glad when he did that that it was treated in the way of being mocked and everyone looked at him like, what are you? And he's like, oh, I'm not saying that again. I am so, because it was, it was cringe watching it. If that was going to become a thing, it would have been horrific. Yeah, it's also very, it's very British the way it's treated. Because if it was American and he was like, who the man? And then they'd all be going, whoa. And we'd, but being, you know, being English and Scottish, they're just like, shut up, dickhead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the, the patient zero then says that it needs to, I suppose, adopt a new form that is not on that phone so it can go undetected, I suppose, would be a way of wording it. So it selects a, a form that it needs to have time to build up this psychic link, the doctor says. So what are you going to do? You, you, know, you can't do that in a case of minutes. And <laughs> patient zero explains, well, I've had years. Mm. And then, Great. yeah, and I'm thinking straight away, because of course Amy drops to the floor then. You know, she, she, she drops to the floor. She's unconscious. And my natural thought is, and I actually typed zero turns into Amy before looking back up at the screen. And it was actually the doctor. And I was like, Oh, right. Okay. Cause I couldn't remember that from the first time range, you know, but in, in a great moment of levity as well, the doctor says, the doctor saying, well, that's rubbish. Who's that supposed to be? Oh, and, Rory, and Rory has to tell him that's you. So is that me? Is that what I look like? It's like, you don't know. It's a busy day. 
Yeah. <laughs> is that what I look like? Oh, dear. Yeah, it's so funny. But a moment of real sort of levity, and then it's right back into the sinister stuff because then this was a great performance from from the little girl playing Amelia. I don't have a name to hand. But when she's saying, you know, about, you know, you know, she waited for you and and what, and she just delivered with real venom, which is what a disappointment you've been. Yes. Oh, that was good. For a child actor as well. Mm. Such a well-delivered line. Yeah, really good stuff. Really good stuff. And again, it's the whole two creatures, you know, one creature hiding as two and, and all this sort of stuff. But the Doctor then twigs, well, hang on. You've got that guys you've got the doctor there because she's dreaming of me and patient zero basically says oh yeah she's you know in, in your head for years and all this sort of stuff and the doctor sort of no it's no it's because she can hear me and she runs over the doctor runs over and starts talking to amy being and said dream about what you saw when you went into that room and i was screaming at you back at the house don't go in there don't go in there dream about what you saw and that causes patient zero to become its own space snake form a perfect, a really a perfect replication of itself yeah really clever really clever because it's it's it, it's patient zero pretending to be something else which is them thinking about patient zero which makes it look like patient zero but it, it it's yeah. it's so clever isn't it but when the doctor was crouched down with his back turned talking to amy why didn't zero just kill him well yeah it it, it shouldn't annoy me as much as it does but it did. But, you know, we got to the end of it all. It's uh, Zero gets caught, gets located and restrained. And the parting words from Zero are in you know, quite a sibilant hissing way. Silence, Doctor. Silence will fall. Mm. Yes, indeed. Uh, I liked the next couple of scenes we have here because they are. It's basically the Doctor doing Doctor things. He's being a bit comical. He's mm-hmm. being being very strong willed. And he's saving the world and doing it in a big, you know, bolshy bravado way. I mean, first of all, we get the doctor using the phone to basically give the aliens a, a, a call. He's just giving them a ring, and um, <laughs> to give them a bollocking. Yeah, and he but, and I like this as well. This is the one bit from Rory I did enjoy. He's going, hang on, he's just saved the world from all these aliens, and now he's giving them a ring to get them to come back. Yeah, and I'll, Wait, that that I liked. It's when, it's when he's on the phone and he's saying, under Article 57 of the Shadow Proclamation, this is a fully established Level 5 planet, and you were going to burn it. Did you think no one was watching? You lot, back here now. <laughs> That's exactly like how I speak to my son. You know, when, <laughs> when, he's, when he used to live here, and he's, you know, he'd have to tidy his room before going out or anything like that. Yeah. And I'd get home from work and his room hadn't been touched. It literally is a case of bringing him up. You, back here, nigh. It's exactly that kind of tone, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and like I said, Rory does... You know, suffer, you know, he's asking the questions well, because at this point we're thinking, what the hell is going on? Why is he bringing him back? I just love the montage of him, like, finding his new clothes and like, well, look, I'm bringing him back. I've got to be in proper clothes. I can't look as bedraggled as I am. And Rory's getting all prudish. He's like, he's getting naked. He's got his clothes off. I'm, I'm going to turn my back. And he he's, says to me, are you going to turn your back? And she's just, like, shamelessly getting a good eyeful. Yeah, nope. She goes, <laughs> yeah. She's just like, nope, and just laying a raises an eyebrow as she takes it all in. <laughs> Saving the world, I need a decent shirt, is the line by Matt Smith. I quite yes. like that. Yeah. And uh, the, again, this is where we get the the bravado. I'll tell you what, Charlie actually said to me, there's that brilliant bit at the end of this one, Daddy. Can you remember? 
Mm. And I was like, uh, no, probably not. <laughs> and she was like, that bit with the doctors. Mm. And I'm like, what are you on about? And she's like, well, we'll just watch it. You'll see it at the end. And it is such a small moment, but it's so cool. The doctor basically then he's confronting these these flying um icicles. If, if you icicles. don't if you don't mind, sorry, I absolutely love this end bit. And guess what? I've got it all written down. Ah, oh, there you go. <laughs> Crack on, my friend. Crack on. So he gets back. He gets out on the roof. He's getting. He's he's trying to pick a tie, which is funny anyway. And one of the Atraxii scans him and says, "You are not of this world." And he says, "No, but I've put a lot of work into it," which I thought was brilliant. First, off. Was what fun. a great yeah, line. That was great. And the Atraxi says, is this world important? He says, what does that mean? Six billion people living here, is that important? Better question, is this world a threat to the Atraxi? He says, come on, you're monitoring the whole planet. Is this world a threat? And the Atraxi brings up pictures of war and weapons and everything like that and concludes that no, they're not a threat. So the doctor asks, are the peoples of this world guilty of any crime by the laws of the Atraxi? No. So, okay, last question. Is this world protected? Because you're not the first lot to come here. Oh, there have been so many. And what you've got to ask is what happened to them? And we get a great montage of the various incarnations of the Doctor um, saving the world. You know, going about the business, doing Doctor things, saving the world. And he, just as it gets to, I think it's a David Tennant bit, or I can't remember if it's Tennant or Harnold, the last Doctor we see. No, it's Tennant. But Matt Smith walks in the doesn't it? Yeah. And Matt Smith walks through and says, I'm the doctor. And basically, run. Yes. But the brilliance of this is, in the two-parter uh, Forest of the Dead, where we first see River Song, River talks about her doctor and, you know, that is in the is in David Tennant's future and how he dismissed armies uh, with a single word. Mm. And things like that, and it's just—it's like a prophecy coming true, because he—he he, he literally swaggers in. He knows what he's capable of, and he wants them to know what he's capable of. Yes. But looking back at that—that that attitude and that dismissiveness of, of this speech and saying "fuck off" or "I'll fuck you up," basically—that plays into later on where the doctor has to fake his own death because he got too loud, he got too big. So it was—it was attracting too much attention to what he was doing because he couldn't operate sort of under the radar anymore and this is part of where it started yeah there's a line as well that there's a, a bit before that that we, we kind of should have mentioned I think when Rory is saying about you know he's ringing these aliens up to get them to come back and, and the doctor explains it simply as sending them away is good making sure they never return is better Yes, and, and and that's again such a simple line, and it kind of gets maybe gets a little bit lost. I mean, we didn't mention it first time through, to be fair. So maybe it does get a little bit lost in all these quite almost iconic moments. You know, the proper bolshiness of the Doctor standing there and saying, you know, run and all that, and the, the imagery coming through. But I think it's such a really clever line because it really does stand up and really does ring true with this, doesn't it? It doesn't, and it, that is something that I think could have been revisited at ver- you know in various stories. Mm. to say because the doctor doesn't want to kill you know the doctor doesn't we want both sides to just part ways and leave each other alone and live in peace that could have become a thing in matt smith's tenure but it never did and it's quite a shame really yeah yeah could have been good could have been good yeah. um we then get the doctor basically grabbing the tardis key the tardis key's glowing in his hand it looks like it's been 
uh, all, all has been, been sorted on that end, so to speak. And Amy and Rory are sort of looking around, talking, and, and turn to talk to the doctor, and he's gone. He's uh, he's crazy excited. This TARDIS is calling him, and he, he goes running off and heads to the TARDIS. Amy and Rory arrive just as the TARDIS disappears. But um, after the but after the doctors flung the doors open and said, "Oh, you sexy thing, look at you!" Yes, <laughs> and I like this as well because it's not it's not open doors. Camera goes in, zooms around, and we check it all out. It's open doors, and mm. then the TARDIS goes. So it's making you wait for that reveal again, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And the thing is, they do that and they tease you there. And then the next thing we see is sort of flash back to him, little Amy sitting in the garden. Mm. And then she hears the TARDIS. But then adult Amy wakes up in the middle of the night and the TARDIS is outside. She runs outside. The doctor says he's just taken, you know, taken the TARDIS for a run in a quick hop to the moon and back. Um, and yeah, he's kept the he's kept the clothes because he saved the world for the millionth time. And yeah. we get the, we get the first utterance of bow ties are cool, which they are because of Matt Smith. Yes, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and Amy asks if he's from another planet, and the doctor says, "Yeah, do you want to check some out?" And Amy goes off on this sort of wistful, thinks and all the amazing things you know that what we've seen the aliens and everything else. <laughs> that was two years ago. He's fucked it again. Yeah, and it's what we were discussing earlier on with regards to the, you know, he said five minutes, she then said six months. That was then actually 12 years. And then he's gone again for another two years. It's the all the way through the episode, there's that, that sort of running theme, that, that running line of this happening. And I think it's it's great the way it just ties yeah. back into itself at the end, you know? It's so much fun, but we get another we get another little drop here for the future as well, because he calls her Amy Pond, the girl who waited. Yes. And that even that even tied directly ties into an episode title for later in this uh, I can't see it, this series. Yeah, it must be. Yeah, it ties into uh, an episode title, "The Girl Who Waited," which is a brilliant episode, by the way. I think it's one of those vastly underrated ones. And uh, sort of Amy's because the Doctor's so sure of himself, and Amy can see that she's kind of just saying, "Well, maybe I don't want to go. Fuck you." You know, you've you've left me for long enough. Yeah. Because um, you know I've, grew, I've I've grown up now, and the doctors don't worry. I'll fix that. And he opens he opens the door with a click of his fingers, which again is exactly what River Song said in that Forest of the Dead two parter. And yeah. David Tennant tries it at the end of the two parter. You know he, he sits there and just or stands there and just opens it up, and now he's taking it on as a trait because he heard it, presumably because he heard it from River. And going back to the stuff on the TARDIS, sorry, I was building up to that. We didn't see it when the doctor first looks inside, and then as soon as Amy walks in, the camera is real tight into the back of her head. Yeah, so again, we're not getting that reveal just yet, are we? No, but we, we see enough. We see like a little round thing on the in the corner, but it's not like the round things from you know the Hartnell era or anything like that. But it's just similar enough to sort of make you think, "Ooh, you know, how's that going?" And then we get the big reveal on the new interior, and I really grew to love this TARDIS interior. Mm. Because it was, you know, the the outright called tenants, uh, Eccleston and tenants, the uh, the sort of the grunge phase, but this this one fit Matt Smith's personality so well, quite eclectic and quite kooky, fun. isn't it? Yeah, that, yeah, that's a great way to describe it. Yeah, I just I looked at it and I was like, oh man. But I, I remember when I first saw it, I did a I did a little bit similar to the doctors. I was like, oh, it's redecorated. I don't like it. 
<laughs> How did you feel on that on that reveal? I. I think the reveal was really well done because, like I said, it, it kept you waiting, kept you waiting, and then when you finally get to see it, it it is pretty spectacular. And then you notice little things like the hot and cold taps built into the control panels, yeah, and and all these little <laughs> weird things. And it's like, why is that there? That's nonsense. But again, like you said, it fits perfectly for Matt Smith's portrayal of the character. It is yeah. a bit off the wall, a bit kooky, a bit a bit nonsense at times. So yeah, I, I liked it, I, and I I also grew to really really like that tireless interior maybe wasn't so much of a fan at the very beginning but i found that with the whole matt smith uh, incarnation anyway so mm. yeah yeah i really liked him and, and we're getting this old you know he has a great line here where he just goes all of time of time and space everything that ever happened and ever will where do you want to start and amy says you're so sure i'm coming why and he says because you're the scottish girl in the english village and i know how that feels mm. Because obviously, you know, his, his planet's gone. He's out of place, out of time. Um, as I'm sure Amy felt, you know, growing up there, and he, he references that she's kept the accent. She's made sure not to lose it. So you know, she's got a, she's got a similar feeling. She must have, and she's kind of panicking a little bit because she's got to she's got stuff to do tomorrow. Yeah, and and it's she doesn't elaborate on that, does she? But when we get to that scene, like the last scene. I loved the way that was done. That was so well done. Yeah, it's it's a pretty dramatic ending, but it's twofold in the drama because when the doctor's saying, "Oh, you know, I've just been knocking around on my own for a while and fancy some company," if you see the scanner just over the doctor's shoulder, it's shaped like the crack. Okay. The readings on the scanner, the the little things that are fluttering about, are shaped like the crack in the wall. Right, I missed that. And then, you know, they have the the ending exchange where she says, you know, she's a bit overwhelmed and she thought he was just a madman with a box and he gets to say the line, there is one thing you always have to remember through everything. I am definitely a madman with a box. <laughs> and then laughs his little head off. <laughs> yeah. And then it's goodbye, Ledworth. Hello, everything. Tardis dematerialised. We get a panning shot of Amy's bedroom with, a you know, little drawings and models of the Doctor in the Tardis. And are hanging on the back of her bedroom door, a wedding dress. Drama. Oh dear me. Oh dear me. Uh, but yes, yeah. there we go. That begins the the well Matt Smith's version of the Doctor, and I suppose the old Amy Pond stuff, and sadly the whole Rory Rory and Amy bullshit, which I was not a fan of. Even when I got to become a fan of Matt Smith, I was not a fan of that. But there we go. Um, In summary then, Dan, what did you think of this watching back this week for the show? It's a good episode. It's one that I've gained a great appreciation of as time has gone on as as regards of the uh, sort of the the story points that it lays up and and, and the even the mannerisms and, and the, the the even I suppose catchphrases and bits and pieces like that. The there are there are problems with the CGI. It's not aged well, which I, I try not to judge too harshly. And until I really sat down and thought about it for this podcast, there's those annoying little plot holes in it. Yes, but as far as something where you just want to watch a bit of Doctor Who and just whack something on for an hour. You can do a lot worse. You yeah. really can. Um, so I'd probably go if, again. I'm doing tracking, trying to track my numerical ratings. So I'm kind of caught. I don't really want to do decimals, but I don't want to go as low as a six, but I don't want to go as high as a seven. 
So I'm kind of mm. stuck in sort of a, probably a 6.5 out of 10, where now if I now we'll we'll go seven just for the sake of I can't be bothered with the, with decimals. Um, but it, it's like um, if uh, if you classed it as hit miss or middling, I'd be saying it was a a lower end hit like you do on Nitro Nights. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, fair enough. It was I enjoyed it. It was good fun. It was a good introduction to the new Doctor. My issues with Matt Smith as the new Doctor now no longer exist because I know how great he went on to be. When I watched it, mm. when I watched this episode back, I, I I could understand again where my initial concerns came from because yeah. he did look so young. And he's, he's a babby, isn't he? Yeah, and, and with that comes almost this... Well, it, you say about the, the, the speech and the, the rage and the fury he shows in the next episode, which I'm glad they did because it eradicates my concerns straight away in the second story. But in this very first episode of very first impressions, it's almost like he's too lighthearted, too, I don't know, too, too, too young, too happy, too cheery. Uh, but that goes away very quickly. Don't get me wrong. But in this first impression, I was a bit like, oh, OK, a bit worried about that. It feels like they'll end up doing to him what they ended up doing to Jodie Whittaker with the writing. Yeah. Yeah. Just making it too one note, too happy, too too cheerful, too too blase, you know, just it's all fine, it's fine, let's go. Mm. Yes, indeed. But there we go. I still enjoyed it. It was a it was a good you know, a, a good watch back, I guess, and it it was it's a nice episode, it's a fun episode. It sets things off well, but it's nothing too serious, too drastic, or yeah. whatever. You know, and just just don't think about it too moment. much. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'll tell you what, that's spot on. That's spot on. You can enjoy it very, very much if you don't think about it too much. That's that's spot on, mate. And if there's one thing that nobody's ever accused us of, it's thinking too much. Oh, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> so then, what are we doing next week? Oh, I should have had that queued up by now. Give me a second. No, that's the wrong file. Shit. Uh, so next week we are going to William Hartnell, and we're going to give the Celestial Toymaker a go, and it's going to be interesting because this is going to be our first one where the audio exists, but we're going to be working with uh, in, in a lot of times just still images and or, you know panels and, and, and drawings and whatnot uh, to fill in the blanks. So it's going to be a real good exploration in how we sort of deal with that. And, and we're going to have to make some real caveats in how we grade this one, I think. It's going to be very interesting because I don't want to give this the, you know, the, the lowest rank on the totem pole at the end of the season just because we didn't have the visuals. Mm-hmm. So I think we're in for a real interesting discussion and, uh, and possibly a, a difficult um, a difficult review, really. Yeah, we also said as well, didn't we, when we, we did our draft episode at the start of the season, that we would then touch upon a little bit of the backstory with missing episodes and not dive into it fully, because I think that's a special or a bonus show we can do somewhere in the future. But that would be that would be something we, we're going to have to have a conversation about, at least, when we cover this particular story. With regards to covering it, I believe it, you said it was available on Daily Motion. Is there anywhere else people are able to watch that, or is it literally just there? Not that I know of, and the only reason I know it's on Daily Motion is because well, good friend UTT Rob. Yes, um, but I think what we'll have to do is when we drop the episode, is possibly put the links in uh, in in the tweet or in a separate tweet just so people can can go and have a look for themselves. 
Mm. Well, obviously, this episode is is coming out. You know, the nature of the beast is, of course, this episode is coming out a week before we review that William Hartnell story. So mm. I think maybe uh, we should share it via our social media accounts before our review of the William Hartnell story goes live. So sometime after this episode drops and the, the that episode comes out, we should share it so that other people can have a little look and see if they agree with our thoughts and maybe tweet us some uh, some some of their own opinions about how this works if they're watching along with us, Dan. Yeah, that would make more sense. You're yeah. such a you're such a pro sometimes. Oh, I really don't are. know about that, mate. I don't know about. I mean, you say I'm a bit of a pro, or I'm such a pro, or whatever. Put it into context. I've lost my vape twice and spilt lemonade down myself during the course of this recording. You just can't <laughs> see it because I have the camera on. Um, <laughs> but there we go. Uh, okay, Dan. Before we depart, do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find your good self and all the stuff you're involved in online, please? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually tweeting about wrestling that's a minimum six weeks out of date or movies that are 25 years out of date. If you want to hear more of me talking about stuff, you can head over to Unbooking the Territory, uh, where we talk about the first and last of professional wrestling, myself and the aforementioned UTT Rob and a plethora of fantastic guests and Cy uh, occasionally. <laughs> Uh, we uh, you can find that at uh, UTT Podcast. We've got a couple of side projects: uh, unbooking the Tankatory, which is uh, sadly coming to an end as we finish the run of the uh, the legitimately the hardest man that ever lived, Mr. David Tank Abbott in WCW. That's been a lot of fun, and we've also got unputting the territory, where we look at the only time a wrestling championship has changed hands via legitimate sporting competition when the being the elite championship was decided in a tournament of Gator Golf and. And that is, we're taking a, a sports-based presentation at Legitimate Sporting Competition in Wrestling, and I get far too wound up about silly little things. Brilliant. Awesome stuff. <laughs> it's daft uh, as hell, and I love it. Well, that, that summarises a great deal of what we do, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anything I am involved in, as always, you can find via the network that carries this show, so that you need to be searching up and following at SJP World Media on Facebook and Twitter. And also chuck us a follow, a like, a subscribe, all that great stuff on all your podcast players, platforms, and providers. Uh, the show itself, you can follow, well, find online and follow uh, at the Doctor Who Pod. That's at the D-R-W-H-O-P-O-D. And again, SJP World Media, you've got so much going on. There's a new Simpsons podcast starting soon. We've got a podcast called The Waiting Room, looking at Quantum Leap, uh, another time travel program there. Loads of wrestling content sports content starting soon a fantastic podcast interviewing authors uh, from the book world with my good lady there so much going on you can check it all out at sjp world media and uh, go from there and let us know what you think but as i said this particular show itself you can follow on facebook and twitter at the doctor who pod it's been a blast my friend i am already looking forward to something a little bit different next week yeah, I can't wait, pal. It's always a pleasure talking to you. But this next, this one next week is going to be something special, I think. I reckon. I reckon. It's going to be good fun. All right. Okay, then. Uh, Dan, I'll speak to you next week, bud. See you soon, buddy. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. Jeff's world-ending wankathon. <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs>